I got me a room and a cheap hotel My head was a-spinning and I didn't feel well I laid right down and tried to go to sleep A band kept a-playing and a joint underneath I picked up my pillow and I covered up my head But the band kept a-playing and a-shaking my bed Honky-tonk, all night long Welcome to Tales and East End, episode 209, and it's me, Gary P, and of course, the Prof Carl Riley. Tonk unlocked. The Tonk unlocked. And I'll tell you about my uh, how the tonk didn't benefit me in a while. Um, of course, we are still sponsored by Fantastic Ocean Electrical, our sponsors for life. And check them out, Google them, get in touch if you just not for lamps. And let's credit, of course. Um, why why do we have let's credit, prop? This one's for our growing legion of ASMR fans. They got you back. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so this week we'll re- review our FAI Cup win over Bangor Celtic. And there's two interviews. Angel Kostoski. Angel Kostoski. And he'll join us from Skopje in Macedonia. Before she'll hear a chat with Tommy Stewart. Who famously scored the winner Israel in 2010. And was a pain in the side of Pats fans for a while as well. It's actually the way around. We're going to have uh, Tommy in the latter part of the show. But anyway, we've been all over the shop with uh, these Tuesday games. I'm sure people can tell. Uh, it really messes up the old schedule and uh, we're actually putting this out Wednesday but we're recording Bank Holiday Monday one of the earliest times we've ever recorded because Gar in his infinite wisdom is going out to Brass Common to watch a horse yeah on that Glenn flyer uh, I have to represent Prof I have to represent the club in an official capacity out there you know um, extremely hungover right now and it's sweltering in the lair <laughs> yeah I'm going to open a window pretty soon uh, yeah, so this schedule has caused a bit of awkwardness. Uh, might save some news and stats for the next show when we're a bit more organised. Uh, for example, I'm not talking to Macedonia man until tonight, so we can't even react to him. <laughs> we don't even know what he's going to say. Macedonia man. Yeah, so we'll just have to assume that he knew his stuff, and uh, we'll pick our team blind, knowing nothing about Scoopy and inform as usual. So, here Ooh. we go. Yes, so people love the Dan Fulham intro. Longest intro ever. The podcast last week, I was going. <laughs> Dan! <laughs> there was a little tree at the end as well for the outro. I'm testing you to see if you're listening to the all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, Garrett, last week you called a Tifty's Boggy, who just became a dad. I know. Mooney. I, I know, yeah. I, t- I don't know what I was thinking. Are it's you? Kieran. You know, we called him Mooner. Well, I think his missus' name is Mooney. Are Sweeney. We? Sweeney. I'm not, I'm not sure. Are we going to have to start every podcast now with a public apology? <laughs> yeah, we because should. Because it's Gaff Central. Oh, so me and Mooner. That's David Kiernan. So congrats again to young Mr. Kiernan. New Mr. Away days. Uh, so the Sligo on Pat's Conference League results. They hadn't come in by the time we were recording last week. But Pat's went through on penos. And we had Sligo going through as well. Two incredible results to be fair. 
And then two incredible results after it in the cup. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe it. Two of them go through in Europe, and then they yeah. both go out in the first round of the cup. What was their eleven like in the in the cup? I had to think? have been decent. I had to have been like Jules was at it. Jules was at the Pats game. He said that strong enough eleven. I mean, you don't fuck about in the first round of the cup at home to Waterford. Don't fuck about there. He could have got. I think. I think I saw a couple of Pats fans online giving out about his team selection. So maybe mm. he did have a week in the eleven. You could say. Yeah, well, that team um, beat Spurs in the Commerce League last year, so they're obviously not mugs. And but Motherwell, by all accounts, are shy. Absolute dort. Uh, I think we can tell who the minnows were there, but uh, <laughs> so it's a good call from Dan McDonald. Yeah, Dan McDonald said fully deserved. Mad that there's been three Irish Scottish meetings in European competitions since 2000, and all three occasions, LOI side has prevailed. So you never beat the minnows. Um, it's mad, isn't it? It's the, the inferiority complex. Hmm. Where did I get it from? You know what I mean? It's weird. And they're having trouble with bandwanger, bandwagoners now for European games at the showgrounds. People queuing for the Saturday league game, getting their European ticket, and then leaving the ground. What is the point? Honestly, I don't get it. It's the difference, isn't it? Imagine buying a ticket for the team you follow, and they're playing in front of you, and you literally walk out while they're playing. It's hilarious though. I can't believe it. Some lost though. Jesus, couldn't believe it. Wexford. Did you uh, see the goal? No, it was a good goal. You haven't seen this? No, no. Okay, no. have forgot. So I'm showing Gary the Sligo goal now. Okay, here we go. This is the 113 minute as well, by the way. So it's out, right, it's out wide on the right. It's whipped into the box. Keep. No! <laughs> he threw it into his own net. That's how they went down the cup. Who's in goal for them now, actually? Who's who took over from McGinty? Some fan they have on loan, isn't it? They're missing McGinty that already. Is, that is a horrendous mistake. That is atrocious. Like you said, Prof, Homer levels. And um, yeah, the manager of Motherwell, who uh, was in charge of that game, got the sack, Graham Alexander. So he paid for that. He actually signed Richie Taylor and Rory Gaffney as Salford. Graham Alexander. Oh, you look familiar, actually. Yeah. I think the, yeah. I think the interim gaffer... No, I think that's Aberdeen, no. Possibly Aberdeen. There's an interim gaffer, there's an Irish guy involved. I'm not sure, I think I might be mixing it up. Not seeing that. Um, did you see Barry Cotter's penalty? Yeah. Uh, I believe it eventually landed in our five-a-side in Lucan. He just yeah. it finally <laughs> dropped out of orbit and landed on Temi Kambikedi. So, there you go. It was out for six weeks now as a result. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan Fulham's new passport arrived on Friday. Uh, it looks a lot more like him, I believe. Yeah, still haven't seen that famous photo. No. Still haven't seen that famous Everyone's photo. Everyone's asking. Um, yeah, so um, up next we have absolutely no idea what Angel's going to say. Well, here he is. So we're joined now by Angel Kostoski. Uh, he's based in uh, Skopje, so he's going to give us the lowdown on uh, our opponent, Scoopy, on Thursday. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, could you give us a bit of history on Shkubi's background? I know it's quite complicated. They were technically found in 2012, but roots go back to 1927. So can you sort of give us that little story? Yes. Initially, they began as a football club called Sloga uh, Yuga Magnets. They were, they were mostly a fourth division side, third division side during the times of Yugoslavia. But when Macedonia became an independent country, they were one of the founding members of the first division and won three titles uh, during the during the period of 98 to 2000. I think it was three in a row. 
Then in 2009, they, uh, they had to fold due to financial issues. And in 2012, they refounded after uh, merging with two other clubs in Skopje, Zafer and Al Barsan. And eight years ago now, uh, they got back into the first division, have been consistently mid-table, and as of the recent few seasons, have been challenging for titles, and last season they won it for the first time. Yeah, essentially. So is it the case that uh, the fans and former players of of that club do recognise Skopje or Skopje as the successor but the macedonian fa don't recognize them as the, the macedonian yeah the macedonian fa doesn't recognize them as a successor but the fans have generally uh, accepted them as such like as in their own fans have accepted them as such and um i mean it's a joke necessarily for a lot of teams to not be recognized as successors here so let's say a team uh, with a rivalry here would have a new club formed uh, and then all of a sudden everyone would not recognize the team as a successor of some sorts. And Shkupi, I was reading, they're an Albanian-oriented club. With the, their supporters are Albanian. So can you tell me a bit about them? Their nickname are the Smugglers in English. <laughs> um, yes, the Schwerzerat are mostly a um, Albanian-based, uh, Albanian-like oriented club, uh, a fan-based ultras group. Uh, that is mainly because the part of Skopje that they reside in, which is Chair, is mostly uh, filled with Albanian people, Turkish people, less so Macedonian people, unlike Varda, who lives, uh, who uh, reside around the area, uh, which has more Macedonians. So, yes, that's why the club is mostly Albanian-oriented, but they do have a lot of Macedonian players nowadays, and the same can go for the other Albanian-oriented team in the first division, uh, Shkendia. You look in their squad, it's mostly Macedonian with a, a sprinkling of, of foreign players. Uh, Nigerian striker Sunday had a tunji. He got 20 goals in his first season last year. So was he a big hit with the club? He was a massive hit when he joined from Rivers United in the Nigerian league. And I think now, at least from what I've heard, is expected to leave after the European qualifiers and maybe even the European group stages if Shkupi can even make it there, which honestly, looking at the squad in general, they absolutely have the quality to do so. But um, yes, he is an incredibly important player to them at the moment, and I do expect him to shine bright in these next two matches. Can you name some other dangerous players that Robbers fans should watch out for on Thursday? Yes, absolutely. One of my uh, personal favorites from this team is Freddy Alvarez. He's got an amazing free kick on him. He's an incredible midfielder. I watched him live in the match between Shkupi and Zagreb uh, just now, and he was one of the better players there. Another player I can easily name is uh, Jalil Abdullah, who impressed me a lot defensively. He was uh, He was a bit clumsy. Uh, having that goal conceded uh, in the return leg. But I think in the first half, he genuinely showed he was a really decent player. And even in the first leg, was outstanding. Christian Omovsky, also the captain of the side, and he's um, also been called up by the Macedonian national team, specifically just because of his performances last season, which could be as the goalkeeper. 
So they won the league for the first time last year, um, mm. comfortably by 12 points. Uh, this season, the league doesn't kick off till Sunday. How, how have their preparations gone? I know they've had the four European games. Have they played any other friendlies? And how, how do you think they're, they're shaping up so far? I think they're shaping up right now compared to the other sides as a title jam challenges once more. Shkendi have also uh, done well to strengthen their side, but I think Shkupi, as it stands, are still the favourites to win the league again. Is that the expectations of the fans as well? Do they expect to win two and three in a row now with this team? With the team they've currently got right now, they'd want to challenge for the title. Would you have an idea of of their budget, for example, the team that just beat us in the Champions League, Ludogrets, they were uh, believed to have a £20 million budget, which is massive compared to Shamrock Rovers. So what would Scoopy be, would you know? Um, well, Macedonian football doesn't have much money in it. The Football Federation doesn't necessarily give you prize money. So any money that the club would generate would either come from investors or sponsors or European money, essentially. So if I was to give you a rough estimate of how much they would necessarily be uh, having as a transfer budget, I'd say one to two million maximum. And their manager, um, Sedlowski, he had a very good career, 100 caps for Macedonia. He took over in 2021. Can you give us uh, an idea of the formation he would typically play and what style of football they play under him? Sedlowski, if you ask me as a manager, he is, an, he is probably one of the best Macedonian managers you can get on offer. He is in contention there between Milevski, who's the national team manager, Basuski, who's a free agent, and Angelovski, who got us to the Euros, essentially. Uh, as a formation, he plays 4-3-3. That is essentially what he... Uh, he played a 4-3-3 with two more attacking-minded midfielders and one defensively-minded midfielder. Senghor will be taking up that spot. Meanwhile, Alvarez and Kevin take up the attacking midfielder roles. And ironically, he's a, a Zagreb legend. And Shkupi came very close to knocking out Zagreb in the last round in that old Balkan affair. Did you did you watch that tie? Was it as close as the scoreline suggests? I was not impressed by Zagreb whatsoever. I will tell you that much. I think Zagreb could have easily lost that match if they were not as careful as uh, they were. But um, I think Shkupi were really good in that. Uh, good in the two matches they played, they showed a lot of promise. But they were sloppy in the uh, second leg. I think just at the start of the second half and could have easily lost two 0 that game in terms of uh, the Roberts fans traveling over the following week um, what do you think they can expect from the city itself in terms of uh, bars restaurants and stuff to do do you think they'll uh, enjoy themselves I mean so long as they behave themselves yes absolutely <laughs> I mean we had Rages fans come over like a few summers ago uh, when they played Shkupi as well funnily enough I think it was 2018, uh, yeah, 2018. Uh, they did uh, leave a few stickers around, so there is still like a memento to them actually coming to Skopje. But yeah, if they behave themselves, absolutely, they'll have fun. And what about the heat? Um, I'm sure you're used to it, but um, will it be sort of high temperatures going into next week? Do you reckon? Do you think that could be an advantage for for Scoopy over Roberts? Mm, probably. I mean, it's going to be. I'm, 
presuming the match will be around nighttime hours, so it should get uh, a bit colder. But um, I don't know. I've never seen necessarily the heat be something uh, used as a advantage for anyone else. It's mainly usually the cold that would be like an advantage for another team. I mean, if, for example, like a lot of European matches in like countries in Ukraine or Belarus, where it's usually colder, those are usually something that would end up being used to the advantage of the home team. But when it comes to heat, it's not necessarily the case. And the stadium, this will be held in uh, the Tos Proeski Arena. Um, this is used for pretty much all European club fixtures, isn't it? And most of the the national team fixtures. This is your your big uh, stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, Tosha Proeski Arena uh, is absolutely massive, with about thirty four thousand seats, and usually it never gets filled up. But uh, I can tell you right now, you can expect a huge attendance from the Shkupi faithful. Uh, the Zagreb match alone had about, and I say this as someone who went to the match, minimum 13,000 fans, which is a number not seen in a long time in club football standards for uh, Macedonian football. That is an incredible tense. It's the capacity of 33,000, so uh, almost half there, which is impressive. Um, what's their European expectations? Um, I know they beat Lincoln Red Imps in the first round. Do they hope to, are they lo- actually looking at group stages as a, a realistic target? Group stages is the expectation. They, um, I'll tell you this right now, from everything I've heard from people I've talked to who are interested in Macedonian football, they see Shamrock Rovers as a team they could easily beat. I personally believe that Shamrock is an evenly matched opponent, maybe even a bit weaker, but... We'll see in the coming uh, the coming matches how it ends up. Yeah, that was my next question. What what they're saying about robbers? Have you read any quotes from the players or staff of Scoopy about about robbers? Um, no, not necessarily. But I think the expectation from the players themselves is just to get to the next round because if they do, that's essentially group stages uh, sealed for them and. The club is, and that's essentially what they want. They want group stage football, whether if it's Europa League or Europe and uh, Conference League, it doesn't matter to them. Group stage football is a minimum expectation for them. Yeah, normally there's previous meetings to go on to try and engage um, the levels of the two countries, but the only meeting was uh, in 2000, Sloga versus Shelburne, the Champions League. So it's kind of too long ago to have any relevance, really. But um, in terms of the Lincoln Redims tie, they won 3 0 in the first leg and lost 2 0 in the second leg. Did that tie swing back and forth? Were they ever in danger of being overturned in Gibraltar? Uh, when they went to Gibraltar, I will say this personally I think they were dreadful. Um, they had. Um, they went away and were completely a different side. In the first leg, they. Took, uh, they took Lincoln Rem- Red Imps for a, for a walk, essentially. But when they went to Gibraltar, I knew it was going to be a difficult match. I just wasn't expecting them to fold. And it could have easily been probably a loss for them if they uh, hadn't at least tried to stay defensively sound somewhat. Um, in terms of when they go away from home, do they... 
especially the first leg away from home, do you think they'll approach it any differently? Would they look to win or would they look to just take a good result back to North Macedonia? They'll probably look to get a good result back because, I mean, it, you're going back to a place where you know you will have fans. Meanwhile, if you go to Ireland, which is a pretty far away country compared to uh, when you see the distance between Macedonia and Ireland, yeah, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be something where you want to get a good result there so you can go back home and uh, be safe and sound. The same way they did with Dinamo Zagreb where they got the 2-2 draw and they were actually expecting maybe even like um, hopeful of a result uh, against them. Like you say, it is a long distance between the two countries and you might not be able to estimate this, but how many people the proxy think might travel to Dublin on Thursday? I think about 100 to 200 people. The Ultras group, the Schwetzerat, will certainly appear with their banners and whatnot. So it'll be fun to see them again. And just from your, your Twitter profile, you actually follow a different club in, in the city, is that right? Uh, I, follow, uh, I follow a football club named Pobed Aprilip, which is a different town in general. Um, but yeah. And you're an assistant researcher for Football Manager. What does that involve and when did you start doing that work? Uh, I started working as an assistant researcher for Football Manager just last summer around the Euros. Uh, that essentially means uh, as an assistant researcher, I work with the database that Football Manager then uses to make the game around. So if it comes to like football clubs and players, which teams they play for, uh, and what leagues the teams play for. Yeah, that's essentially what I manage. Were you a big fan and player of the game anyway when you you got the role? Yes, I was. And finally, give us your prediction for the tie. Who's going to go through? I think the Dublin match will end 2-1 for Scoopy and then the away uh, and then the match in Skopje will end 2-0 for Scoopy. That's it. So, Angel, thanks very much for, for your insight. Really appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, good luck with the podcast. What a fantastic interview. Brilliant. You outdid that's, yourself again. It's the best oh. in years. Angel, cool name. I presume it's Angel. Angel. Well, that's more... Is that kind of Spanish? If you're gonna, when you're talking to him, that's how you have to say it. Angel. Oh, I take no chance in these interviews. I always ask straight up, how do I say your name, whoever yeah. you are? That's it, yeah. yeah. Dan Cleary finally got a squad number puff, and it's number six taking Barry Carter short and Simon Power took Danny's 14 so interesting anyway interesting to see what happens mm-hmm. only took uh, four years for him to get that squad jersey just four <laughs> so Bangor Celtic 4 in the fourth round of the Cup Prof an away game in Tala is that a forced? no no Blue Bell Blue Bell 2017 that was also an away game uh, Brad's are handed debuts to Cleary Power Corey O'Sullivan and left wing back Justin Ferrazai earned his first senior, senior start for the club Corey looked very very good yeah, yeah very good what's this the nippy little fullback is it yeah yeah, yeah. I um, I mean there's, there's a few players it's like obviously we knew of Leddy uh, Jones Carey was announced as a first team squad player at the start yeah. of the season so you're kind of vaguely familiar with these players but I didn't even know opposition Corey Sullivan played, I'll be honest. And uh, I was very impressed by him. People people surprised that Gaffney and Watts started. I actually wasn't because they didn't start on Tuesday, so it made sense. Yeah, yeah, you have to keep keep um, something in the legs anyway, keep them ticking over. Pigo was there uh, on crutches. 
Um, oh, good. It was eight to ten weeks, wasn't it? So hopefully that's, not, that's knocked another week off. We're getting there. Uh, their goalkeeper is a Bose fan, but he wasn't playing. It was actually Adam Hayden, who was definitely not a 37-year-old Japanese goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, suspiciously removed from SoccerWay.com, Gare. It's a conspiracy. Oh. I saw it there. What is that about? It's not my imagination. <laughs> yeah, prof, imagine, imagining Japanese goalkeepers. <laughs> I saw the flag. Uh, there was only 500 tickets sold by Friday uh, due to a lot of cup snobs. Cup snobs, yeah. Club. Me included. I'm cup, uh, snob. cup snobs everywhere. They'll all show up at the semi-final now and be like, oh, what a journey it's been. <laughs> Absolute snobs. Um, um, Philly Maguire. It was his birthday. It was announced over the PA. Got exactly one clap. One, just the one. I counted. It was Is one the, clap. I, that wasn't even you. Oh, no, it wasn't me. You were counting the claps. Uh, better announcements than last week anyway Dan, Keary, Dan Cleary was announcing that someone had lost their keys and I thought it was Ariel Park all over again <laughs> they've lost the car they have the keys they have the keys they lost the car um, yeah, uh, so, so yeah Gaffney you weren't there right? you were watching no, the stream I only, right? I only get, no I only got I only um, Jaden had a match I only got home at about 20 past 9 so I had to skip this one cup snob prof but I got the highlights in ultimate cup snob um, was there chances before Gaffney's oh yeah goal? oh yeah it could have been 4 or 5 first half um, Hoare clattered the crossbar uh, Gaffney hit the crossbar with a much easier chance than the one he actually scored and we had the ball on the net twice but both were disallowed uh, they had the ball on the net as well actually from uh, this fella has a Roy lap type throw in alright <laughs> yeah uh, some throw in in fairness but um, yeah the goal finally came on 32 minutes Rory Gaffney and it was a bullet you've uh, you've seen the highlights obviously. oh yes yeah, some strike that on was. the right hand side absolutely no I think it took the keeper by surprise I don't think the keeper thought he was actually going to have a shot it was in the net before a keeper knew what happened yeah. so it flew by him and then the second half prof, just the one goal in the first half second half yeah. moving on Sean Hoare with a neat little finish yeah so it was well credit to, to them because they were they worked very very hard in the first half and their fitness didn't look to be a problem. But uh, they're always going to tire second half. And they're, they're not long in pre-season. But uh, not a credit to them. But they were just chasing us the whole game. It was obviously one-way traffic. It had, it had that training exercise feel to it. And eventually, uh, Sean Hoare, 66 minutes, uh, he buried this one. 2-0. Mm. And then, but I think there's an argument there as well. You're saying they were fit. I saw a couple of people giving out saying that... the. Teams aren't prioritised. That's the senior league teams, but realistically, like the FAI Cup, it's the biggest cup competition in Ireland. What, like, what, what do they want? Do they want us to delay it by two months so that the Leinster senior league teams can be a little bit fit? If that's the case, then are you gonna have to rearrange the Champions League because some teams that we've played were just in pre-season and we're in full flow. You know what I mean? That's just that's just them's the breaks, isn't it? That's how it works. It's already a short competition, beginning very late in the season. Yeah, I, I don't late think July, two games, and you're in the quarterfinals. When do you want us to delay it to September? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I interviewed Bakker there for the program, and he said they've been back in pre-season for ages. Maybe with a cup in mind. Obviously, they were. There you go. Start earlier. Yeah. They were tongue seven nil, so it didn't work, but. Um, Maybe some clubs come back earlier than others, yeah, but... That was a proper um, tonking. That was, that was quite a tonking. So, 3-0, Gert. Yeah, 3-0, and it was Oida Mamaku. Lovely, lovely little finish. 
great ball in and uh, a little what are we calling it oh, we're calling this a dink Conor Murphy called a dink finish I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with that Gareth backed him up so to, uh, this, this, is, this is a full on dink yeah okay lovely finish yeah, I don't think it's, no it's not it's not chip no it's not, not enough yeah it's a dink it's a dink we'll go with a dink and he was man of the match so I got my first interview with Oidemo Macu um, have you have he's, been on, he's been on the podcast before but Robert Goggins did it on their behalf so um, yeah he's a very very good speaker and I asked him about his composure because that's what we've been talking about isn't it yeah we felt that maybe he let him down a few times yeah yeah so I said he must have been delighted and he said yeah it's been something he's been working on every day in training ah good stuff and it's good for him to be able to address something that he's not necessarily brilliant at yeah so then we had Cleary stepping up 82 buried it into the top left corner so overall good little workout few goals we got the tonk and the 4 nil, which I oh. went into the bookies to bet on <laughs> and you're one like I don't know I don't know why the employer I burst out laughing when you told me this this quote what from do, what do they do Shamrock Rovers what do they do <laughs> what do they do what do they do are you fucking messing with me and then uh, ba- Banger Banger Celtic are they playing Banger Banger Celtic and what do they do oh stop and then she was ringing up head office and she was on the phone for like I was in a bit of a rush I was like I, they wouldn't take they had to ring up for more than 100 on the 4-0 and I was just like you know what fuck this I didn't even get the odds I don't even know what the odds were I would say about 4 or 5 to 1 that that would never have happened in Cholester Bookies no never they would have had a Tonkin coupon <laughs> the, the laid to- out for you the Tonkins yes so yeah, so that fourth goal um, an assist by Heidemo. Uh mostly all from him this one great work down the right after Justin found them in space and a nice pullback and then there was a sort of dummy slash flick that Justin nearly got on the, on the end of again but then I uh, felt Dan Cleary he buried it so first debut didn't score for us Ooh. since oh no no no, no, guess? no, 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 no. Um, I, would, I didn't notice off the top of my head I had to check actually so it was a tough one Paddy Kavanagh Paddy what? Paddy Kavanagh in 2009 I don't know. Oh come on! It's been loads since that's the, then. That's the first thing I can think of. Well, I'll give you. I'll give you. Danny North. Oh, I'll give you a hint, right? It wasn't. It Sporting wasn't last baby, season. Like it wasn't Dan. It wasn't Mandrayu or or Hor or Gannon or or whatever Cotter or any of them, right? So it wasn't last season. Prof just had me. I'm extremely hungover. Brain's not working. The answer is Max Murphy and Benny Max Buffet. Max Murphy. Oh yeah. Didn't he get two? No, just the one. It was the it cut in on, on his right foot, wasn't before it? Before that was actually Reese Marshall in Warnford. Reese Marshall, that was a great goal as well. Also in twenty twenty. Um good show by Gary Brennan, because I was I was fixated on Justin Ferrizoy's movement in this game. I was just like He's good. He's Is he that he's good? not moving like a seventeen year old. He yeah. looks like he has five years more experience than he actually does. He just I don't think you can teach that. I don't think you can you can teach that type of movement. I think it's just it just it's in looks you. really intelligent the way he moves and it's so sharp. And, and what was Gar saying? Yeah, he said it reminds him of Jack Byrne, which is just my compliment, and I think he's spot on there. Mm. And um, more debuts. Cleary, Cleary looked very good. Um, he does. He's a good player. Man. Yeah, plays ball. No ball played centre half. Fits into the team. Yeah, but he had a Scottish preseason behind them. Like they they're a few games in league cups and all that. So. Whereas Simon Power just wasn't match fit at all, so too early to judge him. 
Uh, actually, I've nothing to say about him at all because I just I'm not sure where he was fitting in. So yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. give him a few games first. And so the Tonkless run came to an end. Gear. I had people coming up to me, texting me. Does it count? Because it's only Banger Celtic. And of course it does. Who said that? I shouldn't dignify this as a response. It's a competitive match, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Kane came up to me and I was like, oh, it's like beating up a toddler, though. Nah. Nah, it's not. <laughs> no, so there was 51 games. Toddler wants to smoke, he's going to get it. <laughs> so it was 51 games since we scored four goals in one match a year ago Jeez. in Derry. Like, Chris Brad's running. I tested him. He thought we did it against UCD, but then... He thought about it again. He got, Derry was the last time he scored. He, he got it right. He got. He said Derry last year. Who got the goals? The comeback. Remember we're tuning down oh, at halftime. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um. So we scored. We scored three goals eleven times since then. Eight this year. So that's how close. That's how many times we kept coming close. But unfortunately, the the Tonkless League run goes on. So we have more. Games. To, we have more Tonks to look forward yes, to now. We're on forty now. It's the worst since 45. So a league honking is what we need. 45 in 2014 to 2015. And their biggest win since a 4-0 win over Stoigo in October 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. yeah, and the fact that we finally administered this honking in an away jersey, <laughs> but in the white jersey, uh, not the black one. Says it all. That's, that speaks volumes, I think. We would have went the extra time in that fucking black jersey. <laughs> Yeah, so debuts Prof Sean Jones, Cardi, Gideon, Tete, and Michael Letty off the bench. So, Roadstone products getting a bit of a run there. Yeah, we finished with uh, a lot of teenagers on the pitch here. Letty's 18, but he's a bit of experience. He played 10 games for the B team in 2020. Uh, Tete is only 17. He looks very, very skillful. Oh, yeah? I was beside Robert Goggins for this. So, where does he play? Um, He was out on the left side. You're right. And he was looking very dangerous every time he got the ball. Now, Robert, I'm not to not make not to make it sound like Robert is more keen on one player than another. But when when he came on, Robert was was like, "Watch this guy." Yeah, and he was right. He stood. He, he stood out. And um, um, sixteen year old Sean Jones Carey. Yeah, so he's sixteen. He's younger than Gavin Bazuna was when he, he made his debut. Yeah, I saw that. I'm, I'm hearing big but, things about um, this guy now. Not as young as Sinclair Armstrong, though. He was 15 when he debuted. Um, I forgot to mention their chance at the end, actually. Um, the player called Yanis. And Garth said he remembered him at Rovers. He must have played for our academy. Uh, he, was very, he was very speedy. Did you notice this in the highlights at the very end? Where he ran through on goal. But he just overran it in the end for Paul to scoop it up. I think, uh, I think I actually know him. Yeah. I think he was a guy... I was having Twitter back and forth with him about <laughs> conspiracy theories. On he, t- he I'm nearly sure. It's yeah, not like him. you would argue with Leicester senior league players he, now. He thinks um, he, he thinks obviously like COVID was a hoax and stuff like that. So I was calling him Professor Yanis because he <laughs> up with all this bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember? That yeah, any that's him. Stuff. Yeah, he was uh, um, he was getting all the snooze in for the lads. So yeah, saw Green afterwards. He says I owe him a point. Oh yeah, for winning me the golden goal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have an attendance figure. 1800 there. prof, just about 1734. So, um, snobs. Yeah, we were all West End wankers on Friday. Um, yet some people wanted other stands to be opened. 
You can feel can feel one. Like. Yep. Uh, um, their ball supporting player um, got clobbered. Forget his name. Got now. a clatter as well, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know. I don't get up about that. Kicked him at the end. That was kind of revenge for earlier. Um, but maybe also because he he's, he's a balls bastard, which we which, <laughs> you, which you sang about. We sang, we actually sang dirty balls bastards to a banger Celtic player. That's 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 something, Teddy. <laughs> and uh, that's the end of my stats. But I do have uh, a few from Harry Moore. Hiya Gary, hiya Prof, Harry Moore here with a few Rovers stats. Three in total, so let's get into them. The first one is, in our last seven home games in the Cup, we have kept five clean sheets. The second one is, as we bet Bangor Celtic 4-0 in the first round of the FAI Cup at Tallis Stadium only recently, I looked up when was the last time we won a match in an away jersey. It was all the way back in November 2020 when we bet Finn 3-2 in an FAI Cup quarter-final match. In our last 11 games wearing an away jersey, we have won two times, drawn two times, and lost seven times. So, not a great record there. Our only two wins were against Finn Harps back in November 2020 when we bet them 3-2 in that FAI Cup quarter-final match, and the other time was in the first round of the FAI Cup when we bet Bangor Celtic comfortably 4-0. So, the last one is... As two defenders scored v Bangor Celtic in the Cup, I looked up when was the last time two defenders scored in the one game in any competition. The last time was when Sean Gannon and Liam Scales scored in a 3-1 league win over Dundalk in 2021. Pico and Lee Grace also scored in the 2-1 win over Apollon Limassol back in 2019 in the Europa League. Before that though, Pico once more and Joey O'Brien scored in the 2-0 league win over Cork City back in May 2019. But technically, the last time two defenders scored in the one game in a Rovers match was when Andy Lyons and Max Murphy scored in the 3-1 win over Bohemians back in April. Good man, Agent Murphy. Thanks, lads. So Harry with the stats, Prof. Harry with the stats. That's, that jersey one is impressive. Away jersey stats. That... Very, very impressive. Like like we were saying off air, you would have to delve into photographs and team sheets and all sorts. That, that would have taken a bit of time. And I know I've, I've announced him as an ex-prof, but have you noticed this kind of suave commentator voice he has? Yeah. Con Murphy should be worried. I was expecting him to call out the results there. You know, on a Saturday, Blackburn Rovers won. Norwich nil. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. We uh, we have a bit of that coming up soon. Um, <laughs> so no joy anyway, prof, for the less senior league teams. And there were abs- there was tonkings everywhere. Bluebell got spanked and a, a, what, I think they did a red card after 20 minutes maybe. Shane Stritch sent off. Um, 7-0 losers there. It's not good, is it? What was the... I saw Dan McDonald tidy it up. Something like 20-something goals to zero, was it? Like yeah, it was, yeah. And then you had your man McNulty on giving it the big one about Leinster Senior League teams and this mm. and that. Listen, it's, there's, there's a big gulf there. there. We all know there's a big gulf and there's a reason... Mm. Like I mean, Leicester Senior League is great to watch and that, but there's a reason not many actually jump up. Just can't see a shock happening. Yeah. Uh, again, so. anytime soon. And of course, back to the Pats and Sligo. The Pats and Sligo results nuts, nuts. Wexford beat Sligo in the showgrounds. Warford beat Pats. Like that's two tricky away days in the dust. I'm very very happy. Yeah, it's great to have them out of the way now. Um, only time in the last 10 years FAI Cup holders went out in the first hurdle. Sligo in 2012 and 2014. That was the first thing I thought of. 
<clears throat> first thing I was thinking of. And um, yeah, do you see also Sligo <clears throat> loaned a Welsh player from Dynamo Zagreb, the team that we nearly faced. What? This season? Yeah, it was funny because I, random is that? I was actually looking into him. Because I was trying to, in case we played them, I was trying to think of someone to interview and I was struggling. And I was like, well, he's an English speaker and he doesn't seem to be getting his game. So just a thought just crossed my mind. And then <laughs> it's so bizarre to see him, like, you know, plays for Sligo. It's weird, no? Yeah. All the, pl- all the, all the teams going yeah. through in Europe, starting to get bulk up on their squads. And now, Gar, the classified check of FBI Cup results with an Australian person. Now for this weekend's FAI Cup Round of 32 results. Main Noose University 2 Villar 1 Treaty United 5 Offered no such thing to Usher Celtic 0 Dundalk 4 Extra fingers, long forward town, zero. Well, suck me sideways. I never knew long forward had a town. UCD, three. Stuck it right up, Cock Hill Celtic, zero. Jog Header, United, five. Ath, Lone Town, population, one. Bray, was certainly wondering... Zero, shell burn, three. Finn Harps, one. Bow, the bus seat wearing Hemians, two. Bang her, I didn't even know her. G, G, FC, zero. Sham, Rock Rovers, four. De Rye City, Seven, certainly pulled out all the whips and chains over Oliver Bondage Celtic. Zero. Lou Can United. Three, flushed away Michael from Kill Esther Donny Carney. Zero. Sal Thill Devon. Two, drew with Formaldehyde United. Two. This went to Penno's. And formaldehyde rub salt into the hill, six five. Bono's ghee, six, was all over. Pie Grovers, zero. Defending Cup champions, St Patrick's Athletic, two, must have left their usual starting eleven down under the canal bridge as they were no match for Division One outfit Water Ford, three. Blue Balls United, zero. Got taught a lesson by Galway United, seven. Cobb H Ramblers, zero. Cork City, one. Slee Go Rovers, one. Were beaten during extra time by Wex Ford, two. Yes, so that was the draw. And our uh, correspondent... Getting the, the scores out there. Uh, a unique take on uh, the results there. He's now, now Adam Lamborn, but... Um, unlucky for Oliver Bondage. Yeah, very unlucky. Unlucky for Oliver Bondage. So, yes, um, the draw for the second round takes place on Tuesday, and you'll know who our opponents are by the time you hear this. 
So looking forward to it, prof. Loads of balls will be getting shook, and um, you already got me on the close player of the month of uh, award. Did you did you vote for? Him? Did you vote for? Him? Um, I did. Yeah. I think he deserves it. I think he, think he was far and away the best player of the season so far. Yep. Bastien Irri signed for Galway. Interesting, isn't it? Do you think that him and John Caulfield will really sort of push each other to be the best that they can be? I, I think when push comes to shove, I think it might end up like that. Yeah. But uh, you don't know what's, what type of... Which Harry is going to turn up? Like the Waterford one or the one that's been around for the last while kind of tipping away and doing fuck all that club, so... He looked like one of the most talented players we've seen in the league for about three weeks, and he's done not much since. He's not a coffee player, though, is he? I'm surprised. No, that's why I don't get it. Like his boss is going to be going over his head. See you know what I mean? I don't really understand the sign up, but uh, maybe I'll be proved wrong. Uh, Tommy Tommy's article on Collie's call. <laughs> I love Tommy. Tommy's great. <laughs> we were saying what the mistake. What mistake did we make? We uh, we also because we were talking about this. The break. Cody's call. And I kind of agreed with their sentiments over the past few years about the break. In that maybe it's a bit amateurish. The players going off on holidays in the middle of the season. But in this case, it actually was not a break. It was an international window. Oh. But they spent a good 40 minutes giving out about a break. which was They fact, do have a point. International like, window. About a break though. They do it's have just a that point. it fell at the exact same time it always does. And we only have like a few internationals. Um, I know we probably have a lot of under underage internationals, but senior, not not loads, but great piece on low top. Yeah, no, it's always a great, it's always a great, great piece. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get prop to do it. Trying to get prop. I was, I was, I was impersonating him, slagging, slagging his friend Brian he off got, air. He nailed it off air. He <laughs> fucking nailed it. I get nervous when the bike is on though. <laughs> Um, yes we're going to move on anyway but brilliant stuff from Tommy and he pops up he's sporadic isn't he he pops up every so often with these articles it's really yeah. good so results from the weekend under 19s beat Cork at home it's a good win prof uh, and then the 17s lost 3-2 at home to Cork and the ladies under 17s they won 2-1 away to Galway got away with and the 15s hammered Derry 4 nil. that's then, uh, Voodoo with a brace for the 15s not Voodoo yes so He's magic anyway. Yeah. So, um, bit of a prospect there, Prof. Seems to be banging them in. So, we will... Oh, yeah. Also, the 14s. This was on the Thursday night. They beat Drogheda to 6-0 at the Academy. 6-0 at the Academy. Plenty of goals there, There's Prof. There's a tonk in there. There's a bit of a tonk, yeah. The club has set up a stream to watch the 19s games in Thailand now. Live and free on our YouTube channel. And uh, Dunster is back screaming down the microphone. It was brilliant stuff. We had a late goal from Mikey Letty. The throwback, um, isn't it? Don't yeah. start a commentary. Great stuff, great stuff. Doing a great job. Um, Four episode. The Doyles won it. The Doyles. And we're going to get the list of hatred back. Um, we're going to put everybody who pulls out tournaments at two in the morning. Yeah. Saying they hurt their leg. Saw the night before the tournament. <coughs> Saw a few of those on Instagram, alright, yeah? Bullshit. Don't be pulling. Like, if you're pulling out, give us a week's notice will you please players getting injured in gar matches supposedly yeah all sorts of madness but it went down well anyway and we had a final with Glenmalore Glenmalore a lovely team and the Doyles family a family of uh, well the fella um, they were, I was told they were Pats but the fella who I was dealing with was a Robert season ticket holder so Jamie Doyle well they were all getting slagged at the presentation the four probs afterwards who <laughs> were all singing in your intercar slums at them and yeah, all. yeah there was a couple of shouts for player of the tournament we had a fella called I think his name was Josh on the Brooker Boys he was very good he did about 
I'd say about 6,000 step overs. Um, we had Shane McCarthy, I think it was, and Glenn Malore. Colin Seary was up there for, if, if if Tommy hadn't got injured, Colin Seary would have been up there. But we gave it to Diego Forland Doyle, Sean Doyle, had a, a headband on and everything, and he, he was just, he was banging them in for fun, so he got player of the tournament. And Poor old Pat Tuhi, you can't milk it anymore, Gar, that his team are the tip these five side holders, as he has done for the past three years on yeah. Twitter. I, I believe every day for three years he he's was, brought this up he was spraying balls all over the park just <laughs> not to anyone in particular <laughs> they were going to play mostly yeah. but yeah no happy, happy enough of how it went good good uh, piss up we raised 518 quid for young Josh's GoFundMe so we'll post that up soon enough when we donate it yeah, I as saw, it's a banker we can't go and lodge anything at the minute I was seeing how much work you were putting into this so I was seeing like in the in the whatsapp group and all over the last few weeks you put some amount of work into this fair play begging and, and borrowing off uh, uh, everybody you're so man and uh, yeah nearly 600 quid for Josh's fun which is excellent so mm. yeah well done um, yeah so good night had as well and um, our probs was warmer than Malta it was ridiculous. Holy fuck, it was warm I didn't have that we had a big batch of curry there as well, which was heating everybody up. <laughs> and then we had Ian Bourne as well. And oh, no, sorry, we didn't have Ian Bourne on entertainment. We had Ed Saul on entertainment. No, we didn't. We had Riley Saul's dad. Riley Saul's dad. On entertainment. And Riley Saul's dad's stepdaughter. Yeah. As well. Who uh, put him to shame. Wow. Well, what a rendition of Grace. Yeah. Unbelievable. Not that Ed, or not that uh, Roddy Saul's dad couldn't hold his own. He Roddy was, Saul's uh, dad was brilliant on the mic. Let's give him that. He, he was, was uh, very good. Good rendition of Love Is in the Air. And then when he was still singing Build Me Up, like all the kids, there's like six or seven kids in the corner, all mm. giving it the big one, singing it in the <laughs> corner was brilliant. I hope he was paid now. Because he sang more than your man. I know, yeah, he's a handy one, didn't he? <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for everybody who contributed, and mm. we'll get your prizes out to you. I think we're. The prize rings end, one about. Tandem. Yeah, yeah, and the Wilsons as well. <laughs> Fix. Um, Barry won a little voucher and he texts me, he's like, Gar, I'm starving, where's my voucher? <laughs> it's like, surely you've something in the press. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Emma won the wine. Emma won she wine. Was happy with that. Um, we will get it out to you. Same with Green Blood, mm. he won a box of chocolates. Ocean Let's Go won the signed jersey. Not a fix. Not a fix. Uh, Donna Morphy won the other signed jersey. So we'll get all those out to you as soon as we can. I have one final note on uh, the afters, the five side and the four promises, and that is Larisha's Instagram photo, or maybe it was Facebook, of her in the four promises. <laughs> no, right, I opened this on my phone, right, Gary, and I was like, where is this? <laughs> four promises look nice. And I was like, is this Caesar's Palace? Like, there's no, <laughs> they're the cleanest walls and floors you've ever seen is she is she using some sort of pub filter yeah not a filter for a pub we make your pub look spotless there's no way there's a part of the four provinces that that's, that that's clean it's been another dimension um yeah so that's it yeah five side all good and we roll on next year we're gonna go more likely we're gonna go to Rings End and back to the OEH I'd say uh top goal scorer for the 50s Gary Armstrong a solid two <laughs> Solid two goals. Yeah, the trophy is named in his granddad's honour, Jack yeah. Wilson. So, um, yeah, so up next, Prof, we have Tommy Stewart. So, we're joined now by uh, Tommy Stewart, former Robert Striker. He had two spells with the club. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Looking forward to it. 
Uh, we'll go back to the beginning. I know you, you initially started with Part It Down, but you were in the Wolves youth team for three years, I believe. Was What was that like? Was that a good grounding for you? Yeah, I believe so. I think um, every young kid wants to play professionally. Um, and certainly it seemed like a club that fitted me. Um, after numerous trials at different clubs, it seemed the one that sort of felt home away from home. And I think that was something that... Um, really impacted me and my family and it made it easier to make that decision. Do you remember one <clears throat> do you remember one Pat Flynn there at the time? Because he would have been there at the same time as you. Yeah, Pat was there. Pat was the year above me and um or maybe even two years above me. And then obviously years later we ended up at Shamrock Rovers together. But um now oh, he was a great lad and um yeah he's so jovial and a great character to have around the dressing room and and certainly I know everybody loved him there. Any standout managers or, or players from that time at Wolves? Um, I think, um, obviously, he's, he's passed away now, but his name was uh, John Perkins, who brought us through, and he had a great track record with some of the young ones. And um, It was nice to have somebody like that to manage you as, a, as a, a young kid coming through and someone you can respect and admire. And certainly then, above that, we had uh, Dave Jones um, when I first arrived. Then it was uh, Glenn Hoddle came in. So two two big names, and then unfortunately just after I left, Mick McCarthy had come in, and he'd given a lot of young lads and Irish lads a, a good chance um, to play professional after that. So I feel like it would have been nice to have played under him. Did you feel like you were on the fringes of the first team, or how close were you, or what caused you to eventually come home to uh, Linfield? Yeah, it was definitely... I, th- I thought I was on the fringes. I was scoring enough. I was doing well. Um, I think the big thing for me during that time was the formation change. Was, it seemed to be it gone from a four-four-two, which is something I grew up with, and there's unfortunately very little tactics to it. Uh, it was a matter of getting the ball up, and it was a somebody would have flicked it on, and I was a willing runner in behind, and I was a good goal scorer, and I could adapt to different positions. But I feel like whenever I spearheaded the attack as a four-three-three, I think my um, initial strength as a 17, 18 year old went against me and um, I certainly feel like if it was given a little bit more time to develop in that role which I ended up doing later on down the line things could have been different but that's not how football works and um, I feel like it would have been better suited even to break in into the team as one of the wide players just for being a wee bit more trickier on the wing and a wee bit lighter and not having to worry about my strength as much so in terms of um that aspect, yeah, it was it was a little bit difficult, but it forced my decision to come home after being released from Wolves, and um, it certainly gave me things that I needed to work with, you know. And it was a good thing in a way to see different tactics being used, and it was certainly something that it was a challenge for me. And um, I believe I embraced that, and I was able to end up playing in any one of the four or five positions up front. So two seasons at Linfield, and you enjoyed a bit of success there. A lot of success, two leagues, two cups, and one CIS cup actually. So, um, five trophies within a year and a half, two years really, and that was that was really a a nice little starter for me because obviously I didn't taste a success with the trophy. Um, at Wolverhampton, even though things went well, we got the youth cup. Only until I went back and signed professionally with Lindsay was able to lift some silverware. And um, by lifting that, you know you learn a lot about winning, you learn a lot about characters in the dressing room, you learn a lot about different managers' ideas and um, and how to operate against different teams. So I felt like I learned so much in my time at Linfield and I was able to then 
and put that into practice in the other teams, and that really stood me in good stead. David Jeffrey mostly used you on the wing. Did you mind that, or did you not care where you were playing as long as you were winning? Don't mind that. And like like you referred to just earlier, Wolves, I think it would have been maybe better suited on the wing to start with just because of my frame. And I feel like it was a conversation I'd had with David, and he understood that, I think. And it was... We had Glenn Ferguson, Peter Thompson, who were in terrific goal-scoring form, and you know they have been for the past five to ten years especially Glenn Ferguson. So um, I knew that obviously they were fan favourite, they were player favourite, they were nearly guaranteed to score every game. So it was a challenge, but a challenge I wanted and I wanted to learn and, and grow. And certainly um, when I got the chance to play, I would have played anywhere. And um, again, whenever I played in the wing, I ended up doing well, becoming the young player of the year, winning the award there, scoring a lot of goals and assisting. So again, it was about, I knew it was about my development and it was about trying to maximise areas that I felt I needed to work on. And you had big Alamanis there, which at the time was he the exact same then, solid, ever professional? Consummate professional, absolutely. Great great lad. Um, and no doubt he's had the success he's had and he continues to be number one down at Rovers. Can you believe he's still gone at the age of 40? And in, in, in a way, yes. And in a way, no. He's, he's a person, again, he, he really looks after himself. I, I think it it is different for goalkeepers in terms of like they seem to have their best years between the 30s to 40s whereas <laughs> every other player is different so um in terms of professionalism and a uh, absolute teammate you, you couldn't get anyone better than him so um big congratulations to him and to be honest he'd probably be able to go on for another three three or four years if he has a passion for it so you remain up north, but you change leagues. So you go to the League of Ireland with Derry City. Uh, how did you find the comparison in in standards? Well, we 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 had gone from five or six of us at Linfield being full time, having the full time professional contracts, but very difficult to work with five five or six players on a day to day basis, and then going to at night. So there was a little bit of an imbalance there. Good lesson for us to learn, but primarily I was looking for full-time and if we'd have got maybe another 10 players that were able to come and join Linfield full-time that would have been terrific and, and maybe that could have been different but certainly we went went up from Linfield up to Derry there was another I felt like there was another a little bit of a level at that time that had gone up because everybody was actually full-time <clears throat> all the teams were full-time because in the Irish League, everybody was part-time at the time. So, very happy they've made that move. I'm very happy they've played under Stephen Kenny. And I just felt that it was the right move. And it was something that benefited me again. And it was a good conversation I'd had with um, Stephen. Because, obviously, Paddy McFord was leaving. And he, he recruited me to come in and to take his place, so to speak. So, um, that was a big, um, you know... That was very nice from him and a, kind of a compliment, I suppose. So one I was very pleased with and obviously big boots to fill. But unfortunately, after winning the Cup that year, the team went into liquidation. So I don't think um, I don't think we fulfilled as much as we wanted to there. And, uh, um, you know, we were all disappointed in having the venue clubs at the end of the at the end of the year. Yeah, like you said, you won a League Cup in 2008. Uh, your first visit to Tala was interesting as well, 2009. You guys were the first team to beat Robbers in Tala and you scored that day. Do you have any, any memory of that game? 
I do. I was actually a. It was great to see the stadium, good to see the pitch, and I believe at the time we we kind of like we were just coming under a little bit of pressure towards the end, and and I believe that I was cramping up as well. Just I, that's the recollection I have. And um, but we were a team. We we trained really hard. We trained. Um, we put incredible hours in the training field, and and it didn't surprise us that we always felt like we could go and win, even if we weren't playing well. Or, were under the pressure a little bit and I believe it was a header scored but I know it did score at the end to win the game and um, celebrations were, were nice and it was just a nice little uh, nice little feat to have I suppose because I've been in a few of those now since um, since moving around different leagues and different teams and I always seem to have got something kind of nice from most teams a wee little bit of an accomplishment or some little personal Actually, a long way, but uh, certainly Stephen was very happy after the game. And again, it was a nice start to the season, but unfortunately, the way it ended wasn't wasn't too good. There's probably goals like that that made Michael O'Neill take notice. So, when did you meet him, and how did that Robert's move happen? Yeah, um, Michael Michael was quickly on the phone to me, and I had actually I had an interest from team in America and had other interested teams. Um, there were a few in Europe, and obviously because with Derry and obviously Olympia, we'd played in some European cups, and maybe in one of the younger ones and having a decent goal scoring record and being able to play in a couple of different positions. Um, I was sought after, but um, I kind of fancied the idea of maybe making the trip to America. I went out there, and and uh, Michael was constantly on the phone to me and trying to redirect me and trying to get the flights booked for me to come home. So um, I did that and I'm absolutely delighted I did because um, he's a terrific man and terrific manager and uh, I'm thrilled I got the chance to play for the Hoops. And I think early on in the season, Desi Baker suffers an injury, but when you went in there, Twig and Baker had formed this amazing chemistry and amazing partnership. So how did you look at that? Did you think... You might have to be a squad player, or do you think maybe I could play in the wing? Uh, where did you see yourself fitting in until Baker actually got injured? No, I, I, I never, never really looked at it like that. I had some unbelievable talks with Michael. Um, I kind of knew where I stood with Michael. He's very honest, very black and white with how he talks, and obviously he brought me in to play in a number of positions when needed. And um, he was one of the managers that identified the team as in like he was obviously going to play in, in different formations to suit different different teams we're up against and um, he obviously knew that it was a goal scoring threat from the right or left or through the middle so um, I had no issue with that I wanted the experience of playing with, with him and also to to play for a big club like Rovers and, and the challenge and, and for the league because I knew obviously it had been a while and there was a tiny bit of a project at the start of the year. Now we didn't go out shouting about trying to win the league or anything, but like in house, um, you know, that's something we wanted. Michael knew he signed a winner in me, so I never. Des and Gary, brilliant strikers, and it wasn't just about trying to break them as a pair. It was trying to like actually push them on and be a good teammate and challenge for their position as well. And if I can do well when I come in, they're going to have to lift their game to another level. And I believe between the three of us and. And the other two wide players, except for the front players, you know, we had a terrific year, you know. So I believe everything that we wanted to achieve 
we want to kind of achieve with uh, how we set about our standards. So what about your own <clears throat> partnership with Twiggy? How did that blossom over time, do you feel? Quite simply, we were two, two players that wanted to win. Um, when, when winners meet, you know, there's <laughs> it's pretty easy. Um, Gary just wanted to score goals. Same as myself, I wanted to win, score goals, do whatever I could to, to win a game of football. That's, that's, there's no secret recipe there, and, and we worked hard all the time. Uh, we had a good friendship off the field as well. Um, we obviously, a few of us lived together, so it was nice to have that uh, camaraderie. And we, I think, we fully um, excelled as a as a team and made a good unity off the field. But certainly, whenever we played together, I think we, you know, between us, we'd scored a number of goals and uh, a number of crucial goals. Uh, were you seven Twiggy in that famous house in Tata, all living together? At one point, yes, yes, but um, we had, we had a good time, a good fun. Uh, but certainly, it was just a. It was good to see that the club wanted to try and sort of house people and kind of keep them based there. So obviously, we're full time. They're trying to get everybody to to um, do the right things, but off the fields, making sure players are rested, players are eating properly, things like that, and we're not too far away from the training ground. So. Um, there was a professionalism there, and uh, certainly it was just nice to have the uh, guys around you that uh, really cared about football as well. Um, I, I forgot to check your stats. I think it was 10 league goals you scored, but one thing I'm sure of is half of them were against St. Pat's. So <laughs> did you did you ever stop and wonder about this? Why, why did you constantly score against Pat's? I think it's just like any striker, they'll, they'll tell you just sometimes once you've probably got a couple of early goals against one team. Um, maybe that team sits off and has a tiny bit of fear about you or just think you're going to score. Or whenever I went on the field, I always thought I was going to score, but especially thought I was going to score against Pat. And <laughs> it, sometimes the ball just landed at your feet and all of a sudden there was a goal. It was it was kind of bizarre. And um, and maybe sometimes just horses for courses at the end. You know, I, I maybe if it's three or four games that I wasn't on a goal scoring and, and Pat's were coming up, it just sometimes gives you a shift in mentality and you know you you go into the field knowing the opposition or maybe thinking, oh well he's got a good record against us. You know, we've got to be careful and maybe mark him a little bit tighter and it, it, I, you can't ever really I can't give you a real answer apart from, you know, that's just sometimes just the way it goes, just the rub of the green. Which one sticks out in the mind uh, out of those Pats goals? Um probably down at into core. Uh, there was a couple of uh, goals, and I think they, they were playing well. We, uh, they were on top, and then all of a sudden, there was a, a nice three ball, and within kind of quick succession, I kind of scored two, but um, there were two goals that scored at Atala against them as well. There was one, I think I got goal of the month. Um, no, I didn't get goal of the month, actually, and uh, it was against them Pats, and it was just a nice kind of build-up. I think the ball was played from James Chambers to Turner. Turner back to Chambers, who'd whipped it in kind of like on the edge of the pain, and I'd kind of I just met it perfectly on the on the run and I was able to kind of just make good contact with it and it turned into kind of like a whip past the keeper so it was, it was nice just good connection to the ball but good good nice build up before so as for the Europa League this was obviously a memorable uh, European campaign so we, we draw Benoit Yehuda who were undoubtedly favourites to go through I think they actually there's a famous story they booked the hotel in the next round to play Juventus, that's how sure they were yeah. that they were going to beat us. But uh, 
What do you remember from the first leg initially, Bakker getting the late equaliser, and then how did you feel going into the second leg in Israel? Yeah, a bit of relief to just kind of be in the tie because I don't think we played particularly well. There was a little bit of lack of intensity. It just, it just flat. There was just some something that wasn't quite right and fair play to Benai, whatever. Sometimes in Europe that happens. Sometimes this thing just goes out of the game with throw-ins or dead ball situations. And unfortunately, you just feel time sort of slipping away a little bit and you have to play to that and you're trying to really do the the team up, the fans up as well, and 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 really sometimes it's it's just a battle of chess. It just goes so slowly, and um, it's it's a weird feeling on the field. But certainly, we felt like we weren't any less of a, a team than them. And certainly, whenever we got over to Israel, you know, we knew it was going to be tough because of the conditions. So. Frustrated with the first leg for sure, but the second leg we knew we just had to put in a, a real 90-minute graft and we knew we'd be under the caution, but not just because of the quality of them, but because of the conditions and the heat. And and certainly it was a magnificent result in the end. And the goal comes from a long throw in from Stephen Roy. So talk us through that famous goal. Yeah, I, I believe it was the 69th minute. For some reason, that's stand out. I'm pretty sure it was because I think there was a good solid um, 20, 20 after that plus injury time. And just remember, we were putting on a wee bit of pressure. The ball went there for a throw. And I just remember bodies coming forward. And I was thinking, brilliant. You know, bodies in the box because it was hot. And you're still thinking, you know, we we got to, we just got to get a chance here. And all that was going through my mind that night was, I don't want to, I just can't go away. I need to play Juventus. I want to play Juventus. I want to keep increasing the game. But the fact if we'd have missed out in Juventus, I would have been distraught, you know. So, and then maybe knowing the little comments of then I had already booked the hotel and things like that, just and the cockiness there and, and the arrogance is uh, just drives you on a little bit. But certainly when the ball came in, I just remember following the ball from uh, Reiser making a throw in and. It bounced, I think, a uh, Sibby just maybe flicked it or didn't flick it. I can't even remember if he got a touch to it, but whatever way, it just saw a bounce and I was just determined, so determined to meet that ball before any defender came in. And, and as soon as, as soon as it bounced, I knew it was, if I make a connection with the goal, and as soon as it connected with it, I was nearly away celebrating because all I had to do was keep the ball low, hit the back of the net. But um, yeah, it was pure adrenaline. Um, I was so ecstatic as soon as it scored. And I just remember uh, a week later, two weeks later, being the the ripple effect of the Samakovers fans across the road in the Maldon Hotel who'd been watching it and seeing every. I didn't. I, you had no idea how many people were there watching it. You had no idea. You just don't. And then and then when you see videos coming out and people celebrating on your goal and just the build up and the excitement to it, and I was just that was as sweet as the moment was in Benai, just to see it a couple of weeks later, how much it meant to people and the weight of the goal. It was an incredible feeling because everybody in that room wanted to witness Juventus come into Tala as well and, and to get out there. So um, very pleased, very happy, um, obviously for the team. But again, it was a nice little um, proud moment for myself and, and something to look back on fondly. Yeah, the away wins in Europe are, are precious, aren't they? So that one meant a lot to the fans. And like you mentioned, the carrot of... Juventus in the next round so when the final whistle goes in the dressing room having got the win and knowing you're playing Juventus was that dressing room pretty special was it lively 
Yeah, I, I can say now we had a night out, obviously, but um, at the time it was just everybody was so dehydrated and you didn't know whether to, to come or go. It was kind of just sort of, we're all just a wee bit like, you know, we just everybody had put in an absolute shift, you know, and they've got that. I remember I was late in the dressing room because I've done a few interviews um, for RCTV and it was just a great moment. And I, I remember just then Michael coming out to get me and, and walking me back in and celebrating with me and arm around the shoulder and just big congratulations. And then when we got in, there was obviously a, a celebration. I believe there's probably a bit more of a, a better celebration before I got in just because everybody had already been through those emotions but certainly um, we made up for that at night and um, it was great great times great squad and um, certainly um, one that really paved the way for, for for what's even happening now I think Yeah Pat Flynn actually told me that he rates Israel as his favourite night out ever so he must have been up to something that night was there any any characters get up to no good? Hey. Hey, to be honest, I think Michael was the last one in. So, <laughs> um, no, it was a, it was just a great night. But just the, I think just when you realise what it means, everybody, um, back home, families, friends. That's why you play football. You know, you're you're not just in it for yourself. You're in it for for other people, and you can celebrate with your family and friends and and loved ones. And and certainly, the travelling fans really enjoyed it. I uh, we you know we partied with them for a little bit, had a few drinks, and again because. The club really hadn't been in that situation for a while or whatever. It was just nice to get everything back and it just felt like there was a real shift in momentum with how football was being played in Ireland, how things were operating, how things were moving forward. So for that reason, it was a big thing and we wanted just to enjoy the moment. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were given that opportunity and, um, you know, we celebrated, but obviously we're quickly back to work. We could focus on the league and other cup competitions and, um, we need the task ahead, but it was a moment that Michael wanted us to savor and really let let us feel special because we'd done well, we'd overcome something, and and he wanted us to give the belief that we could go and do something else at another stage. Yeah, so it was Juventus a week later, and a magnificent occasion, obviously, to host Juventus and Tala. Extraordinary, and um, there was no no bigger team at the time, no better better team in terms of like the the players that came, you know, the World Cup players just coming off the back of the Italian World Cup win. Um, players that had just signed, you had one player, I think it was Diego or Amari, had signed for 15 million at the time. So, you know, when you're talking about players like that, um, internationals for Brazil and, and Italy, it's, it's, certainly, um, it's certainly a task. <laughs> so, we loved it. It was great to play against the players, rub shoulders with those. Obviously, from a time at Wolves, that's what I wanted to do week in, week out. But certainly then, there's a period of that when you're away from that and you want to test yourself again whenever you're, you've gone to all this, um, these different clubs to try and you know bridge the gap between where you were at up there and where you're trying to get to. So I feel like it was a good test for me um, and the performances were good. But certainly from the team, I was very very pleased because I thought whilst we were a little bit in fear of them maybe to start and give them too much respect it was a lot of um, good play from us we had some good chances and um, it wasn't as easy for them as they maybe kind of thought it might be or hoped it would be so certainly the fans enjoyed it I remember the time and um, two great occasions Yeah the return leg in Modern uh, is that the worst conditions you've ever played in that torrential rain? 
for the worst slash best <laughs> um, <laughs> because it didn't see Juventus one but they were able to keep the ball down there was lots of side tackles going in uh, it was it was always going to be an uphill battle but certainly we didn't want the game to be off the atmosphere the the um, the build up to the game there was a real excitement and we believed even the 2-0 that you know we had good chances and the first time I remember crossing the ball on the big Muzz Muzz just missed by a whisker and you know you go in 3-1 you know you you never know it, and especially if we had that over there, they would have put them a wee bit on the back foot with the game going ahead in those terrible conditions. So, um, I wish we would have got one goal to, to support out there, or or even at home, just to just to have that. But um, all in all, great, great experience and great learning curve, and, and something we can look back, uh, you know, that we're proud of. You know, it was a good um, good achievement and, and decent run in, the, in Europe. And when the Grace Alessandro Del Piero lined up that free kick, did you think surely he's not going to shoot from here? I was holding my breath. <laughs> um, I, I remember him having a few shots like that, watching him on some of the videos, and he scored one or two like that, or else he at least hits the ball like that. So I, I think whenever someone steps up like that and has that confidence, you know, there's always a chance that, you know, if they connect with the ball, they're going to have a um, at least a shot on target, and, and certainly a player of his quality can move that ball pretty much where he wants. But from the score from that distance um, in those conditions was, um, yeah, I, I suppose I can't really argue that he scored. You know, it was a great strike. He, he, he couldn't have caught that any better, and there's nothing Big Al could have done. But at the time, I remember watching, and as soon as it went to the top of the wall, I was thinking, uh-oh, you know, so... Um, fair play, but for us to hold them out to the 70th, 79th minute, you know, and for them to score a set piece, you know, we've got to say, you know, congratulations and um, to yourself because we worked hard and tirelessly. And on another day, you know, we could have gone in with a nil nil or maybe next something. So, all in all, it was a, a, a pretty fair selection of the game. There's that iconic photograph of Del Piero wearing Gary Twiggs jersey. Do, do you have any Juve shirts at home? I do, yes. It's an iconic um, photograph for sure. Um, like being a marvellous player and someone I always admired growing up. But uh, two other players that I, I've always admired as well as centre-backs were Chiellini and Bonucci. So I have both their jerseys actually. Yeah. Uh, Bonucci from the first and Chiellini from the second just because they played striker against them. So um, I don't think you can get too many better centre-halves in the league or in world football than those two. And um, I have the jersey and yeah, it's amazing to play against them. Two prize possessions for sure there. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So the title run-in, um, we, we end up squandering, I think, a seven-point lead and we have that wobble at the end. What was it like? Well, I suppose you should talk about the Sporting Fingal game, uh, um, the second last game. What was it like during that time when it seemed like we had it wrapped up and then we nearly threw it away? Yeah, I just think... The momentum shifts somehow when other teams around you are winning and they're just winning and winning and winning. Seven points isn't much. You know, there's 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 two wins and a draw, you know, and, and all of a sudden there's you lose one game and you're right back in it. And just the mind shifts and changes and because we hadn't won the the league in so long, I think that the media and other people were building up a little bit more than we even wanted to, and I think every game just the the notch went up a little bit. You know, the temperature rose, and it was just 
trying to, to keep ahead of um, teams around us. And um, certainly there was a wee dip in form from us, but other teams picked their game up as well. And and that's just what happens. But ultimately, our, our character was something that got us through. I mean, I remember three or four players, you know, because we had extra games in some of the teams as well. And, you know, you're putting your bodies in the line and, and uh, trying to really look after yourself as well and I remember even personally um, I had a, a bad problem with my healing I was getting injections I had a four four weeks four games that had started then and I had to get injections and I was only able to train um, once or twice a week play a game and then had to come out and just rest my heel um, so I was going through that which nobody knew about and I know there were two or three other players who were um, strapping up for games and, uh, and taking uh, whatever pain killers it could do just to get through a game. Um, so we all we all put our bodies in lines to get success for for Rovers, and um, we fully deserved it. That's for sure. Um, we come up against it and made it hard for ourselves at the end, but um, that was a great feeling to get over that line. Yeah, that last day uh, at Bray, the Carlisle grounds, yourself and Twiggy on the score sheet. Uh, what do you remember about that day, the two-all draw, which finally got us over the line? Just, I remember, I remember the game just kind of like being a little bit like it just felt like we could always hear what was going on in the other game, and it just like it was like around the stadium was just like a radio. You could just hear people. It was such an odd kind of experience, and um, I think we were expecting nearly to go out and win five or six nil. It just felt like that kind of feeling, but again, such a difficult place to go. Um, Bray are, you know, they've always been a decent side and they're a tricky team and on their day they can beat anyone but we knew we were still up against it but um, especially in the second half uh, after the, the team talk from, from Michael um, I think it was just a matter of just come on boys this is it with 45 minutes it's all or nothing and um, it was a great feeling because we started well and I remember nice little link up play before it scored and then it just felt like we were going to go and like win three or four, you know, by three or four then. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was a, another kind of turn. But uh, we could constantly hear people at the side um, telling us to score from the other games and stuff. And uh, yeah, the last the last five or six minutes were intense because, again, you don't know whether to go forward sometimes or defend. It's just a weird balance. So it was uh, such, such a relief and a, an amazing feeling at the same time to, to hear the final whistle. Yeah, I remember Bray had a chance right at the end and it was hard and melt stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was our first league title in 16 years. So you could probably tell, but it was a big crowd there in Bray. It meant so much to the Rovers fans, didn't it? So much. Um, that, that's, that's, that's it. You know, they deserve success. They come out in their numbers every week. They demand success. I'm so happy that they got success. Ultimately, as a player, you go... A club, I believe you should go to a club, you know, trying to win something, trying to accomplish something. We set out our goals, um, to try and deliver, and um, we're able to do that, which is fantastic. And um, set the club up for, for more success and, and be able to sign more quality players year after year, uh, and get the fans excited as well and get more fans out. Um, but definitely, it was a, it was a nice evening, it was just it was a perfect way to, to finish the season. Um, because the fans deserve it. The club knew what it meant to them. Players knew what it meant to the fans. 
the players wanted to win and ultimately we did that. It wasn't easy, but um, just a, it's great to look back on because you can see how hard it is. It's never easy to, to go and win something. You're always up against it and it just shows that every game does matter. There's always an importance in every game because if we had maybe not dropped a point previously to that, then you know we would have won the league earlier and with things wrapped up. But for the neutral, I'm sure it was exciting, and for everyone else, it was probably a, a good um, a good way to reintroduce a Irish football to anyone who hadn't seen it or or just have that kind of excitement in the latter stages of the league. You mentioned a moment ago most of that squad had never won a league title before. So after all that intensity, when the final whistle goes, is it just relief and that release when it's over and there's a pitch invasion and the trophy celebration? Is it all does it all happen so fast? Is it a blur? Yeah, a little bit. It's weird because you, you look back and see videos and um that's when you really like see because you're in the middle, you see people run on from different angles and see what it means to people and just the sheer excitement and um, you're kind of just in the middle of it and you kind of don't see some of the outside the perimeters what's going on but and you would have felt you could just feel the joy and emotion and um, the excitement from everybody but um, that's how you feel as players but I didn't feel nervous going into the game um, I think I expected the win I expected to win the league I expected this to challenge um, obviously I know the feeling of what it was like to win a league before so uh, going in I wasn't really um, it didn't feel like it was a a massive whilst it was a challenge it didn't feel like it was something we couldn't achieve it always felt achievable uh, I'm just probably a wee bit disappointed we had one the previous couple of weeks before that because we really put ourselves in a great position to do that So you end up joining uh, Paratic Thistle in Scotland in uh, 2011 and then you come back to us in 2012 so how do you look back at your time in Scotland and what brought you back to Tala eventually? Yeah, I took the opportunity to go and play for my old teammate, Jackie McNamara, ex-Celtic and Scottish international. Really thought it would have been a great opportunity because um, I knew he was going to become manager. and It was a game I called the time, so I went over there, played a few games, Jackie came in and then a it was just unfortunate because the league itself in, in league in Scottish League One under like the Premier League, we were we weren't a team that was challenging. We hadn't set out goals to win the league. We didn't really have an idea of how we stood in the cup. So it wasn't really like like even what Michael had set out to achieve and and it just felt like it was just um going by week to week. It was a, it was an interesting one. It was it was a bit of a strange feeling and uh, we didn't really have we didn't really have tactics the way Michael did, and it's, it's not to be disrespectful to the club. It just felt like it was a little bit um, void of uh, where we were going. Um, we had maybe teams in the league that maybe were in and around us, and it uh, just like, kind of felt like anybody could win on any given day. And unfortunately, um, we, we I think we finished fifth in the league, and it was just such a surreal feeling coming off the back of what we'd done achieved at um, the Shamrock Rovers and being in Europe and it just felt like it'd gone backwards almost. So you returned to Rovers in the summer of 2012 under Stephen Kenny's but what sort of club did you come back to because Kenny was obviously under a lot of pressure that season because mm-hmm. of the, the results at that stage. 
Yeah, it was an interesting one. Um, obviously, I knew Stephen and felt like we had unfinished business and really respect him. He liked me and it was just, it seemed like the right fit. It seemed like, obviously, it seemed like the right move, especially after coming off the back of what had happened at Rovers and then going a little bit backwards, in my opinion, to then trying to propel forward again under someone I knew, a club that I knew well, and it tasted success for it. So it felt like the right thing and it was the right thing. Um, ultimately, we ended up winning something and scored a few goals, got another debut goal and uh, we had a good cup run as well. But um, it was disappointing, especially knowing that Stephen was under a little bit of pressure. Um, and then obviously, ultimately, he he left. And it's just one of those things, unfortunately, that's football sometimes, but he's obviously gone on to show how good of a manager he is. Um, and... Yeah, I, I, I still chat to him to this day. So he's a great man, a great manager, and um, someone who probably underachieved a little bit, but no means. Uh, I don't think it was really any of his wrongdoing as well. It, it's, it's a weird one, it's just football. Yeah, it was a, a forgettable season from from Rowers fans' point of view, but um, yeah. I remember a standout game for you was the 2 0 win over Cork. Uh, I actually, I remember timing it on the screen. You came, you scored after 16 seconds after coming off the bench and then you scored a cracker from long range. So that was a good day for you. Great day for me again. It was a lovely to come back and uh, just to, to come on so early on and score after 16 seconds. So yeah, sometimes you could be fighting for every little ball to try and score and press again and just get that monkey off your back. But certainly it was a, a came a lot quicker than, than I, I thought it might, but it was a great feeling again. And um, and then obviously I remember the second one, I remember a big con heading it down and just, I got a lovely touch on the ball, lovely little turn. And then as soon as I, I hit it, I knew it was a goal bound and it was just great to see it go in. And that's one of my, probably one of my favourite goals as well. You spoke earlier about how you nearly went to America in, in 2010 instead of going to Rollers. So, this time you did go to uh, Sacramento Republic in their debut season. So did you obviously felt this time, this was the time to go abroad? Yeah, it did. It felt right. It felt like it achieved quite a lot in Ireland, uh, north and south of the border. I'd won everything. Uh, there was the win, uh, pretty much. Um, and I just felt like, you know, I wanted to taste another culture, another place, um, another style of football. And I felt like, even at that early age, I thought like it would be great to get experience from different managers from around the world, see how to play. Because ultimately, I've always thought about I would be a coach after football, so I was I've always wanted to get like different um, styles off people, different um, ways of playing, and, and experience different um, different clubs and countries. Uh, and that's that's what I've done. And I had a great time out there. Um, we won the championship in the first year. We had sell out 20,000 fans as the first ever game. As uh, the first player from Northern Ireland to score a hat-trick. First player for um, the club to score a hat-trick as well. And then score the fastest hat-trick. So nice, again, to say that. I know it's a team sport, but going to somewhere as far away from home as that and to have a couple, um, a couple of records set um, means a lot to me. So that, that's why I'd even mention them. But certainly... Um, winning the, the US Open Cup in the first year in the inaugural season um, was something that made it so much sweeter because it made everything seem right that I made that move. You had an ex-Robbers teammate with you, didn't you? Uh, Derek Foran. Yeah, Diggsy came out. So I think after the, the first year and us winning, 
he he wasn't off the phone to me trying to see if we could get him out there, help him get out there. And uh, he's a he was a great player, and uh, yeah, I was able to put him in touch with the team as well, and mm-hmm. obviously recommend him, and um, and they were quick to snap him up, and he had a, he had a good season there, and um, I know I know he had a good time in California when he was there, but um, nice, always nice to have someone from back home that understands the game and understands the kind of uh, chemistry involved with the football team, and I found that was. Um, the most challenging thing at the start was just the dynamic in the dressing room, but certainly, and um, once you get three or four players that are on the on the sort of same page, it, it starts to starts to move forward. And again, like I said, winning the, the league in the inaugural season with so many different players and new players and different backgrounds is such a great achievement. So then you have spells with uh, Ottawa Fury, and then you come home again to uh, the dock, reunite with Stephen Kenny for the the third time in your career. So, how do you look back at I suppose those two seasons? Yeah, again, um, I wasn't my. I didn't really want to leave Sacramento at the time. I'd finished the top goal score and then um, I'd scored another hat trick in the US Open Cup and I had an injury. And then I just felt like the manager was trying to sort of push me to the side a wee bit and bring in college players. Um, and then, you know, thankful for the move in a way because Paul Douglas, Kenny Douglas's son, phoned me and couldn't wait to sign me so he was like get here quick <laughs> so you know when he was cu- came calling uh, I didn't want to turn that down I got to play in the NASL North America Soccer League so uh, another fantastic opportunity to, to play for a, a recognised team and um, and get to work with some great staff um, and just flourish again as a person and player and uh, that was a good good move for me unfortunately the club ended up folding a couple of years later just because of the way the league works out there and um, but enjoying my time there, but um, I was, I'd been chatting to Stephen, and then um, when I got the chance to go and work with Stephen again, I was I was too happy. I, I couldn't have been any happier because obviously again in Ewan, I felt like the two times before I'd been cut short because of the dairy one, and then obviously Shamrock Rovers when I came back with him. So I thought maybe the third time would be a charm. That was the the Sean McGuire uh, Cork season, wasn't it? That he he prevented Dundalk from winning the he didn't three or four yeah. in a row, yeah. I did indeed, yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, they had a great season, so you got to pay respect to that. But certainly, um, we had every intention of going and, and winning every trophy there. And I believe we came out and top and, and won, and we had two runners up, maybe three runners up actually in the uh, FAI League and Senior Leinster. So, we challenged for everything. We were there in every final we could go when we were trying to and maintain those standards from the previous years, but we just fell a tiny bit short. And was it Larn you finished your career with? How long did you uh, spend with them? Yeah, it was a year and a half. Uh, after things going well uh, to begin with, I got a really bad ligament injury on my ankle, and it just really set me back. Um, and I did everything I could to get back in and, and ultimately when I came back to pre-season I did really well I scored seven goals in five games and um, for some reason then it just wasn't uh, getting a look in even though I was I was doing well um, I was fit as a fiddle and yeah it was just it was disheartening um, and then obviously I decided that uh, by me took the census the best thing was to leave and, and, and look at other um, things um, then came a real bad time in my life with my own mother passing away and then uh, COVID came and um, yeah, I was unfortunately on a path to the team and 
a couple of years just seemed to go to, to go by and whilst I was still keeping myself fit I was working on other things then but, um, with football with coaching and, and just trying to be smart and help other people wherever I could and keep myself busy um, <clears throat> didn't think COVID would have lasted as long as it did I ultimately didn't get back into playing and just made a decision that I felt was best for for me going forward and while I still miss the game I'm, I'm really thriving and loving coaching yeah, you only announced your retirement there in um, in June, and you've since been uh, had a couple of coaching gigs. So tell us how they're going. Yeah, very well. Really, really exciting times. Um, again, I think it's great to to try and learn straight away from from whoever you can and get involved with the team as much as possible, and and, and go down that route before I get into managing. But I've been uh, working with a mate, myself, and Aaron Hughes. Uh, the under-19 um, women's team. So we're, we're taking the team to Poland for the championship. Very soon, I believe, we've got Republic of Ireland in our group. So it'll be nice and nice and tasty. But um, yeah, just working with good people and being able to develop my own kind of um, sessions and, and just learn, learn as a go as well and um enjoy it and i'm very passionate for it so it's, it's something that's been very very helpful and fruitful and um, i've been working with the elite squads over the last year and a half with the under under 12s right through the under 19s trying to progress the players into the senior team so that's been good um and then i've been working with a cliftonville ladies who host most of the senior international a women so it's been great um again great learning curve um and as much respect as i can to football by working with as many different um abilities and talents as i can and um whilst this has been a, a bit of a um a, a new thing for me working with women it's been great um where it ends up not quite so sure but certainly i'm learning on the way i'm loving it and um waiting to see what exciting opportunities come up as i go along and um, i know there will be and I'll be ready for them as we go along. Finally, you're a man of many talents, Tommy. Uh, last year, you released a music video called uh, I'm a Better Man. So how, how did this happen? Yeah, I, um, I've always, uh, always when I was a kid, I loved music and, and kind of theatre and it probably would have been another kind of passion of mine, passion I've been developed. Um, only recently, I, I kind of like had been uh, learning the guitar and uh, when I say recently before COVID and then um, just writing songs along to it but I obviously had the difficulty with uh, my own mother passing away and then COVID happening and uh, obviously there was a lot of um, feelings there and maybe a little bit hurt and stuff like that and I just journaled it's pretty much just writing some stuff down and um, it was one of the songs that I kept coming back to and then obviously uh there was a lot of people with um in sport with a uh, especially the men's football they were having mental health issues and problems and and i just felt like i could maybe reach a hand out and obviously say like it's not maybe going to be as bad as you think or maybe i can hold a hand out and just say listen um you know if i can get through something you can get through something and just be a a good teammate, you know, when I would just like to be a good teammate and, and, and to come out top, I know what it's like to be in difficult situations, but ultimately, like, through sport, I've learned how to win and learned how to lose. Um, so I've tried to apply that to my own life. I've tried to apply that to, to helping other people. I've tried to apply that in schools when I coach people and, and football teams. So from that perspective, it's just another analogy of probably trying to 
to be a better person and, and, and say don't give up and um, as a sports player I think it's very uh, important it's very powerful to to try and show that we're not all bulletproof we're not all you know people have this image of footballers just being these guys or girls that you know are pretty much bulletproof and it's not the case whilst um, it's an entertainment business uh, and people are there and um, they can a lot of times say what they want and if players aren't performing I get that but and um, there's a lot of people suffering in the background and, and, and maybe can't cope with it just as much and, and need that little help in hand. So from that perspective, um, and then a couple of people um, and you had um, committed suicide uh, during uh, just after COVID and um, it just felt like a good time to try and reach out a hand. And when I was able to get people behind me to, to do that, um, they did so and, and they really believed in the project. And I... I was only too happy to share. So if it's affected one person in any way or helped someone in a good way, then I'm, I'm delighted. But you don't really see that. You don't really hear about that all the time. Um, but certainly, uh, it was, for me, a big enough song that I was able to, to pen down and, and help with. So not that I would do too many more of those. It was a nice thing to have done. And uh, very grateful that I was able to help another organization in charity with the monies and donated that in full. Yeah, it's a fantastic message and a worthy cause. But what, what was the reaction to the song, I suppose, from I guess teammates or ex-teammates? Honestly, it was it was very positive. It was all very, very positive and very supportive. Um even with people donating and um just people really get behind the message. And a lot of people actually spoke up saying those are the words I needed to hear. And I think that's kind of that's where you, you maybe see it as a bit of a, you know it's a weird one because I'm not a musician by any stretch or, or, or you know I'm, I'm just trying to help someone so whenever you hear something um, positive it's it's a nice feeling but at the same time um, there's a message behind it there's a clear message behind it and it's just to, to really help someone and say things will be okay things will be better so um, certainly uh, yeah glad I did it um, hope it helped a lot of people are here it helped and again the feedback has been very positive and I know it's had a number of countries around the world with views and stuff so that was cool but again I, I'm not a, I'm not the biggest musician out there so I don't intend on, on doing too many more only happy to help when I could Best of luck with the coaching career and, and the music career if you decide to pick it up again one day uh, thanks many for talking to us Tommy uh, pleasure to meet you Carl thanks very much take care now Cheerio now Yeah so Tommy Stewart prof. Um, he, he's, so he's managing the ladies football now as well does a bit of theatre, a bit of singing. Yeah. I think he was on a TV show as well, wasn't he? I um, I didn't get around to asking that because I couldn't remember what the name of the TV show was. I just know it was some sort of um, first dates type show. Yeah, I think that's in, what it was in England. I remember seeing a screenshot of on, on Facebook on Robert's chat. I think it was. I just thought it's the most random thing I've seen. Um, I didn't know how to even bring it up. <laughs> it's like, weren't you on a dating show? Yeah, he's um, he um, didn't delve into any. He didn't give us anything. I was I was hoping you were opening him up with the house in, in Tala. He didn't really he didn't, yeah. he didn't spill the beans no, he there. Was, he was closing me down on that one. Very diplomatic. He's, he's obviously a big fan of Stephen Kenny. Signed from three times, so yeah. he wasn't gonna He wasn't gonna tell us gonna about the lockout either, was he? And apologies, I actually forgot to ask him about the twenty thirteen season. And he had a decent return, eleven goals. Maybe it's just because I hate that season so yeah. much. <laughs> Can we that's but, that's uh, terrible time. So yeah. We'll leave that for the book. But uh 
I don't know. I was just I was conscious of time, and I was trying to cover all of his career. But um, he did. He actually did have a good, pretty good 2013 season. We won the treble minor. But um, yeah, TNS. Remember that? Yeah, TNS the banner. I wonder where that is. Actually, if anybody has that, let us know. We'd love to know where that is. Yeah, not as good as the Baker partnership, but uh, underrated partnership. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, scored a couple of good goals. Okay, prof. So up next we have starting elevens and predictions. So, um, big game, Scooby. We are eleven to ten to go through. They're four to six to go through. So, what's that about? Um, hmm. Is it because we- they gave Dynamo Zagreb such a close game, or I don't know? It's an odd one. So they don't really have much European pedigree. They're like they drew at Rangers a few years ago. It was probably all different players since then. So um, I'm, re- I'm really interested in this now. So I wonder how the bookies came to those odds. Mm. The smugglers. See, they're Al- they regard themselves as Albanian, but they're in the Macedonian league. Oh, here we go down the rabbit hole. We're going down in, in the Balkan deep, rabbit deep, hole. The Balkan rabbit hole. The smugglers, and they regard themselves as Albanian. And then the Macedonian League don't recognise them because they merged with another club, I think it was 2012, to make this club. And it's just, it's it's nuts, that part of the world. It's nuts. So, um, oh, I don't know. We don't know nothing about them. I'm going to go with me starting 11 anyway, bro. I'm going to go Manus. I'm going to go Grace Horganen. Lions on the left. So no Dan Cleary? No, I don't, I don't think so, I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's ready or not. But I'm just I not. think he's going to go tried and trusted here. Yeah, I, I'm not taking a chance. I'm not saying that he's not a good player, but he's only in the squad. I don't think I want to take mm. a chance there. So Grace Horgan, I got Lions on the left and Finn on the right. I'm going Gary O'Neill and McCann. I think McCann's been brilliant. Uh, I'm going Bork Watts Gaff. Bork Watts Gaff. Bork Watts Gaff. So you're essentially bringing in Watts for Tell. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't. I don't think I can take the stress of watching Tell. <laughs> In, in a European game again um, yeah possibly harsh on greener he scored true true but I but think I'm, I think I'm thinking of greener as an impact sub here I know he should I know like he possibly he could start but game. I think technically yeah. up front I want Bork and Watts to see what they're to- see what they're like I want them to be able to pull the strings now Watts is possibly getting very lucky here by getting a starting starting spot because he hasn't he hasn't been great he was extremely poor in Bulgaria I'm thinking that he might have enough here, so I'm looking at a, a bit, looking at that technical type of ability that we have with Bork and Watts. They're the two I want up there, and then if it's not working, get Greener on, pummel them. Mm. So, um, I think I agree with your team. In saying that, you could have put Gannon on the right, you could have started Cleary and dropped Finn, but I'm not dropping Finn. I think Gary O'Neill and McCann have been great in the middle together. Um, Fun fact about McCann: he started as many Champions League games this season as he has. League games four. Oh, that's a good stat. It's a quirky stat, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's been good in fairness. Brother so. has been saving him for these European games. Yeah, yeah, seems. and it's it's worked well marginally anyway. So that's that's what I'm looking at. Um, I think yeah, Derry's going to be called off. I'd I imagine. Think, I think you think so. Well, it's Tuesday, isn't it? We're playing on the Tuesday. They'll be back on the Wednesday. Away on the, I think they're trying to get up called off. It's not ideal, is it? Though, think about it. I so, think it'll either go ahead or it'll be on the Saturday. Right. So let's say they travel home after the game on Tuesday, right? So they'll get home. I sure it can't be the Saturday. Well, they get home night time. They're gonna get home in the morning time. Like let's say two a.m. They get home, right? Go to sleep, wake up Wednesday. They're gonna have a light training session, even if they train, because they're gonna be home late. Then on the Thursday. 
they're going to have some sort of session I don't know what they do and then the Friday are travelling so mm. you're going to leave early to get the dirty and all travelling again like there's a lot there's a lot involved there there is but I think there's a balancing act with the the FEI with cancelling games I think there's basically just like they try and look after you for the first two rounds and then they can't keep cancelling games every week but away to Macedonia and away to Derry in three days that is tough that, it's, a mad, it's a mad turnaround yeah I'm, I'm actually looking at my team here and I might change it maybe depending on see we don't know what competition we're going to be in the, the next round yeah but it should be a Thursday shouldn't it so wouldn't the, wouldn't the fair solution be moved to a Saturday give you another day yeah hmm. I, I might I might I think I'll change my yeah. team here Prof. I'm going to take Watts out and put Greener in you've convinced me I just think Europe and these these type of games I think he's going to start Tell I just think he sees Tell as in his best 11 now no I'm not starting Tell I mean without Jack I think he sees Tell in his best 11 yeah. amount right so I'm going, to, I'm going to put Greener in purely I mean he scored in the last game be pretty harsh to drop him. Yeah, it's Europe. Yeah, we'll go greener. We'll go greener instead. Um, predictions. I'm gonna go two one. I think two one. We'll possibly underestimate them slightly. I think they'll have a bit about them. I'm gonna go two one win. Two one. Hmm. What are you going for? I do think we're gonna get past these. I just have a feeling it's gonna be all to play for in the away leg. Oh, 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 what are you thinking a draw? I'm thinking a one-all draw, oh. but we either win in 90 minutes or extra time over there. That's what, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Cross um, predictions. Yeah, there's a call from Gary Bre- Brennan here, which he may kill us for publishing, but um, too late now. Here it comes. So going out on a limb here, but after watching the extended highlights of both Scooby Games versus Dynamo, we should be beating these. They are slow and a bit all over the shop defensively. Their right winger looks like their main threat. They seem to struggle with the ball. Into the box and both their goals in the first leg were big long balls that fell fortuitously for the forward. If we put it, if we put in last week's performance over the two legs, we win. So um, I might watch those highlights myself actually, mm-hmm. just to get an idea. I'll be going down to the rabbit hole now when I go home. I'm gonna lie on the couch and get a curry. The Balkan rabbit hole. Just yeah, and just feel sorry for myself. And then I'm gonna go down the Scooby rabbit hole. Just check them out. So check. if they turn out to be excellent, direct your anger to at Bar Grennan <laughs> on Twitter. And if um, I, I think I'm going to judge them on how many Wikipedia players, Wikipedia pages their players have. That's a good way of getting it. You know? If they've got about, yeah. if they've a full squad of Wikipedia pages, you're in trouble. You know when they're greyed out, you're like, this is the pub team. These are shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, we are in three draws for three different competitions in the space of an hour. On Wednesday, isn't it? Or Tuesday? Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday afternoon. What a time to be alive. Three draws. So Champions League, Europa League and the FAI Cup. So And of a few more stats before we go. Um, the only meeting between Macedonian Club and League of Ireland Club was when Shelburne beat Sloga in the 2000 Champions League. Sloga. And that was when Shelburne won 1-0 away with a Baker free kick. Uh, not that Richie Baker Richie Baker um, that was the League of Ireland's first away win since Rovers in 1982 Ooh. that was a momentous one uh, again Tony McCarthy played in that it's the second time McCarthy has played one of our opponents in this campaign because he played oh, yeah. Hibbs as well um, so Scooby we probably talked about this in the interview but I've not heard it so I'll just keep going they were founded in 2012 but Slogan died in 2009 yeah very cork thing to do. Yeah. 
and former Slogan players and fans consider Scoopy to be their successor, but the Macedonian FA don't recognise them yeah. as their successor. Uh, again, I'm sure Angil covers all this earlier. And so yeah, hopefully we can make Tala Fortress again. We are now 20 home games unbeaten in all competitions. 22 on Tala because there's a way in a neutral venue in the 22 there. So 20 home are unbeaten since Florida Tala last year. This is our best home run since 1987. So Fortress Southstand, Prof. Get Yeezer Southstand. No, Southstand's gone. Get Yeezer Eaststand tickets. Get West Weststand tickets. Get you their program with Bucker Beatty. Stay off the fucking pitch. <laughs> yep. So that is it for this week. And we will see you in the South Stand. So keep on hoping. See ya. I'm a better man. I'm a better man. There's just no way that I'm going down. Pushed out to sea. Now I can't breathe. Where's the shore? You picked me up. You sped me up. Where's my hope? Forget my past I'm trembling I'm on my knees Raise me up And I believe in you Now I see the truth What's life I'm fighting back What's life I'm fighting back I'm a better man, I'm a better man There's just no way that I'm going down Pushed out to sea, now I can't breathe Where's the shore? Now where's the spark that lies within That teaches us not to give in I see the light, I shine so bright Changing everything And I believe